0: You're listening to the Ruby on Rails podcast.
1: You're listening to episode 442, and I'm your co host, Brittany Martin. Dave Paola is the founder of Sierra Rails, a new development agency based on the idea that combining Ruby on Rails with the apprenticeship model can produce big results. Dave loves the outdoors, dogs, and obviously Ruby on Rails. We're turning again from episode 307. Welcome back, Dave.
0: Thank you, Brittany. It's great to be here.
1: So we covered your developer origin story, and listeners, I highly recommend that you listen to episode 307 before. So tell us what has happened in your world in the last two years, Dave. Yeah, it's
0: been quite a rocky two years, honestly, with COVID and with everything that's happened. Last time we spoke, I was attempting to launch a co-working space management platform startup, which is a mouthful. And unfortunately, like many other businesses, that one was a casualty of COVID, And so after that happened, lockdowns happened, kind of shut down all of our customers. I kind of did what is now known as fractional CTO work in a variety of industries. First thing I did was I worked on a virtual office product, which was really fun. Worked with a friend. It was this really cool virtual office that had proximity audio visual. We were anticipating that everybody was going to work from home forever and wanted to have little digital avatars walking around the virtual office. I prototyped it with Dragon Ruby, and then we eventually made it more of a mature product. It was really cool. The unique thing about this product was that it was rendered isometrically. I just had a ton of fun working on that, kind of like a SimCity style visualization. Then I worked at a dog training startup for a little while, which was a really cool experience. And then for the last year or so, year and a half, I've been working with a team out of Dallas, Texas, working on what I often describe as an extremely boring business and extremely boring technology, but an incredibly important product and incredibly lucrative product, which is water leak detection and prevention in big apartment buildings. So that like sums it up. It's been an interesting few years. Met some terrific people, learned about a bunch of different industries and new product niches. And on a more personal note, I think in the last decade or so, it's over the last two years been the first time I've ever considered moving back east. Currently live in Tahoe and I've been considering moving to a city I know is near and dear to your heart, Brittany, Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania.
1: Get out, Dave. What okay. oh like shrieking in my little recording closet. I would love that so much. I have talked with several people that have moved back East because of the pandemic. They were in San Francisco, realized the rent was really high. All their family was back out East. What would beckon you back to these?
0: Well, you know, my sister was in San Francisco for several years and she actually made the move back to Pittsburgh during COVID in 2020. And so I've actually been to your fair city several times. I have a large extended family in Pittsburgh, even though I grew up in Ohio. And being out West is kind of tough to be away from your family for so long, especially as everyone's getting a little older. And my sister moved back. And so it's just kind of like there's a gravity to it that I am honestly a little surprised that I'm feeling, but say la vie.
1: Okay. Well, that whole time that you were acting as a fractional CTO, was it always with Ruby and Rails?
0: 99% yes. The virtual office product, I prototyped it with Dragon Ruby, got really into the game engine. And eventually had to move away from the prototype into the real product, which was an Electron app that used the Pixie game rendering engine. So that was the first time in a long time I was kind of a JavaScript developer there for, I don't know, nine months, 10 months, something like
1: that. Well, we talked about this in the pre-show, but this episode was highly anticipated on Twitter just because the topic of junior developers is an always an important topic, but one that has been particularly hot lately. And I was excited to bring you on to talk about the origin behind Sierra Rails.
0: Yeah, you're right. It's, it is. That has been a hot topic recently. I think in order to understand my involvement here or to understand Sierra Rails, you kind of have to wind the clock back and understand my relationship with the developer bootcamp industry. I'm not sure who of your listeners knows much about me, so I'll give like a very, very brief history here. And Brittany, I know you also have a relationship with developer bootcamp. So, and I'd love to hear if there's anything along the way that you think I'm missing out on or omitting, please let me know. But if you wind the clock back to 2012, which can sometimes feel like ancient history now, my friends and I were introduced to a really special individual who was launching the very first cohort of the very first, to my knowledge, in-person developer bootcamp. I won't say his name to preserve his privacy, but he's an exceptional individual and we learned a lot from him. We visited. The office, pretty frequently, they had this really humble San Francisco rented office on Fifth Street. It was not what you would anticipate a venture backed startups office to look like. It was very much a rough and tumble kind of a place. What we saw happening there was really magical though. This guy had identified maybe 25 or 30 people. Maybe it was actually a lot less than that. I can't quite remember, but we thought, you know, he had the whole office set up with pairing stations and we thought, we watched as he essentially over 12 weeks got each and every one of his graduates hired into developer roles at tech companies. And we thought, wow, how can we boost the impact of this? And we talked to him about this at great length and we decided, let's try to put this online. And that was kind of the genesis of Block. We launched in 2012 and I'll skip over just a gigantic amount of details here, but boot camps end up looking very different online than they do in person, as I know you're well aware. You know, we were really idealistic. We really wanted to change education. One of the things that I talked a lot about in many of my recruiting pitches and investor meetings, and indeed sometimes even in customer facing info sessions was you know if you look at many of the problems in society, many, many of them, if you really take like a root cause analysis perspective on it, a lot of them come back to education. What kind of education do people get when they're young? What kind of teachers do they interact with? What kind of lessons do they learn? And we thought at the time, most people didn't really need college degrees in order to get a job as a developer. I still believe that. That hasn't changed. What has changed, though, is that many, many other people saw the opportunity that developer boot camps represented and got dollar signs in their eyes. Mm -hmm. And in person developer boot camps came to dominate that landscape. They controlled the messaging, they controlled the metrics by which these programs were kind of judged, engaged in the eyes of consumers, some good and some not so good. Anyway, as we grew and learned more and more about what it took to instill the proper skills in our students, By the way, we had thousands of students enrolled concurrently, so it looked very different than an in-person developer bootcamp. We tried lots of different things and learned a lot of meta lessons along the way about building programs like that. In particular, they're very difficult to iterate on quickly. But one thing I always wanted to try and never really got around to was hiring our own grads. We thought that this would be a really good thing in a lot of different ways, in particular, Having the feedback loop of being a hiring manager of our own graduates, we thought would, I always thought would have a really good effect on the feedback loop. So for the curriculum that we would develop, really inform how mentor sessions went, what kinds of projects that we built into our program and just a hundred other things. Anyway, so we never quite got to it. There was one company that was really great at it, not just for our program, but, you know, any bootcamp graduate, there was an ideal company that they wanted to always get a job at and that we always wanted our grads to get a job working at was Pivotal Labs. And then later on, ThoughtBot kind of entered that that scene as well. And so Pivotal Labs was well known for hiring juniors in pairs. They had a really great onboarding experience. They had really great deal flow and client-facing projects. And it was just this awesome place where if I wanted to go hire a developer, for a while there, I would go look and I would find graduates or developers who worked at Pivotal Labs for 18 months. And those would be like the perfect developer to hire. And so as these agencies have matured, they've kind of moved away from their role in some cases, as that best place on the planet to get your first developer job. And some people may disagree and that's okay. But anyway, I think there's a big opportunity here after thinking a lot about this for a long time and watching the landscape evolve, I can kind of see that you know, in my opinion, or at least from looking out my own eyes, can't really say that any particular company has really filled this void yet. But you mentioned this is kind of a hot topic right now, despite quite a bit of activity talking about this topic. I actually think there are, it's non-zero, but there are precious few actual initiatives out there that are helping concretely to get Junior Rails developers their first jobs at great companies. So that's kind of what Sierra Rails is. I see it as an opportunity essentially to help juniors launch their careers.
1: So I have definitely a couple follow-up questions to that. So I would say that I know that Block wanted to be able to hire its own developers. And I think the question of it was whether or not you hire those developers immediately after graduating the bootcamp. I know a lot of us returned as mentors, but you're right, Dave. We typically had a couple years of experience underneath our belts before we came back. And I agree, it's definitely a problem where you want to solve that immediate first job as you're getting out of the bootcamp. And so that is definitely a tricky one. And I think that we can all agree that everyone says, yes, you should hire juniors, but we don't have enough people out there putting... Putting
0: your money where your mouth is.
1: Putting your money where your mouth is, for sure. And so I love the idea of Sierra Rails in that respect. I think you would agree, too, that we've had some boot camps as well. And this was definitely some nefarious activity where they would claim such a high hiring rate. But really, they were just hiring their grads back after they graduated to do really nothing. Exactly. And they weren't really growing at all, which is a disappointing thing.
0: And furthermore, I think that highlights, you know, there's just probably 100,000 lessons that we could talk about from that industry. But now I think that does highlight one of the things that has been a struggle to look back on is that there are some things that optically would not make the most sense from a PR or from a marketing perspective, but would actually be better for the students. And this is one of those things that I really struggled with at a time that we all really struggled with at the time at Block was some of these problems were much, much more difficult, I think, than often are discussed on the Twitterverse. But nonetheless, I remember those days very fondly, and I still retain the spark of desire to help juniors launch their careers. And I think it's kind of unfortunate what's happened with some developer boot camps. I think there's still some good ones out there. But honestly, I've kind of been unplugged from it for a while for a variety of reasons. So this is kind of my foray back into the industry.
1: This episode is brought to you by Honey Badger. Did you know that Honey Badger status pages now come with incident management? As an engineering manager on a team who recently implemented an incident management process, I was super excited to hear this. Build confidence with a public status page that shows your live service status and incident history. The ability to bring your own domain is key here. Transparency inspires trust. When your next outage happens, communication is going to be key. Alert your users of issues early and keep them updated as each incident unfolds with incident management. Plus, if you have scheduled maintenance, you can keep your users informed as your team works through the window. Head on over to HoneyBadger.io to learn more. I have to ask, Dave, pandemic happened. A lot of these in-person boot camps had to go remote. Mm-hmm. Did you kind of chuckle a little bit because you're like, oh, I know how to do that. Mm-hmm. How did you feel about it? It's almost like you were ahead of your time. I would never describe it
0: that way to anybody, but I have watched as other boot camps have tried what we tried in 2013 and 2014. And this is one of the reasons I will probably never be involved in a developer boot camp again, is because of just how difficult of a business it is mm-hmm. to do online at scale. To do an in-person developer boot camp in your local community is not as challenging. It's nowhere near as challenging, actually as, you know, in my opinion, as running an online program. An online program operates at such a scale that you know one of the things we learned was essentially that we're not really a technology company we're actually an education company and that looks very different in a lot of different ways it affects your investment it affects the kind of work chart you have just all sorts of implications and many of the boot camps that attempted to go online learned some of the same lessons we learned in 2012 and that's okay that's the way the world works is like new people come along maybe it was timing maybe some of them are going to succeed where we didn't i hope so because that would mean that more junior developers get jobs and affect the industry. I am a human being and it was a little fun or at least a little interesting to watch some of them learn the same lessons that we learned.
1: Okay. Well, I appreciate you sharing your honest hot take on that because I (laughs) did have to think about that when that hit in 2020. So you decide that you're going to set up Sierra Rails and there are some things out there that have definitely made it easier to start a business. However, I have absolutely no idea how you would set up a development agency.
0: Not thinking about it any differently than any other business or any other startup or project that you're trying to launch. It's just, I think the challenges are different or at least they've been different for me so far. It's also not a normal agency either. So a lot of this I'm still learning and come back in three to six months and I may have a completely different answer to this. You know, there's so much to do aside from just like setting up the business. There are a bunch of open questions that we need to still figure out. But basically you try to get clients and you hire junior developers and you try to make sure that first of all, the juniors are getting adequate coaching and that you have this sustainable deal flow so that you can build your client base. Still kind of figuring out what's the optimal ratio for juniors to seniors. What is the best way to do project management? Ultimately, how do you deliver high quality software with this model where you're hiring juniors, you're giving them coaching, you're giving them technical guidance. You also have to make sure that what you're delivering is really, really high quality and the clients are happy. So the client facing work, the project management work, Nothing here is a skill that that I haven't practiced before. It's just this unique recipe for these ingredients is just a little bit different. And the other thing is that we're bootstrapping this whole thing. We're not taking outside investment, which of course adds some constraints. And you know, I've learned all about doing the venture back thing, or at least a little bit about it. And this is very different. I think bootstrapping is a little bit more aligned to our mission though, in some ways, and you know, I'd much prefer to grow sustainably. And there are even some thoughts rolling around in my head about Is there a unique corporate structure here that would even more align our interests, the interests of the business owners, the interests of the junior developers, and the interests of the clients? I'm not sure if I'll make that work, but it's an idea. And like I said, I've been piloting it for a while, but there's still lots to learn. I don't know if that answers your question or not.
1: (laughs) It sure does. So you mentioned you did pilot it. So how did you go about that?
0: I basically, Judo moved one of my fractional roles. So I basically had this role at LeakAware, which is the name of the company that, that I was working at. And they had a very old, we'll just call it very, very legacy. And I think most people will know what I mean by that. Rails application that we kind of successfully turned the ship around on in a way. And as we turned the ship around, we finally were able to start moving faster on making changes. We were able to start adding new features, fixing longstanding bugs, that kind of thing. And we needed more bandwidth. And as soon as we needed more bandwidth, I kind of approached the founder and said, hey, this is a great opportunity to hire some juniors. And so that's kind of what we did. And we didn't, I didn't treat it as, as an agency, I just treated it as what's it like to hire a junior or a pair of juniors and deliver quality software. And you know, it's important that we did that after the application was a little bit less painful to work in. Although I still think that's a little bit of an open question. I, th- I think juniors can contribute to legacy apps very effectively. But anyway, basically piloted it for a couple of months. And then as that operation wound down, I had the opportunity to speak with a mentor of mine, somebody in my network about who had performed agency work in the past and had launched his own agency. And I approached him about this idea and he encouraged me and I said some other folks I talked to, and I basically said, screw it, let's try it. And so we got another contract and we just basically moved the two developers from that one company to the new contract. And now that's kind of where we're at now. We have a bunch of different clients in the pipeline at various stages, and I'm definitely recruiting juniors right now. And I got to tell you, it's incredible how many junior developers in the Ruby and Rails community exist and are looking for their first job. I don't know if you've had this experience.
1: Oh, yes. <laughs> Imagine you're just getting inundated. I have that coming to me soon. We currently have a dual role at Texas where we're hiring a senior Rails developer. As soon as we close in on that hire, that person is going to help us hire a junior. That's so awesome. I'm very excited about this. This is new for us, but I'm so curious, Dave, like, who is the ideal junior for you and what does that pipeline look for you? Are they emailing you, DMing you? Like, what does that look like?
0: That's interesting that you're asking if they're DMing me, because I got to tell you, I made this announcement a couple of weeks ago, maybe a month and a half ago now, and this is by far and away the most active I've ever been on Twitter. And it's not, <laughs> not just like posting on Twitter, but the DM activity has been insane. I mean, actually insane. And some of it is a little overwhelming but a lot of it is also really valuable. Like I'm connecting with some really great people, agency owners, other senior engineers who want to help. And I've kind of forgotten, I've been out of the education world for a long time and kind of forgotten about education attracts such mission-driven people, people who just really care about making the world a better place. And as trite as that sounds, I've kind of forgotten about that. The offers of help that I've received are just overwhelming and so much appreciated. And I think it's going to make a big difference in the outcome here. But anyway... Your question was about the ideal apprentice. I mean, it's just the ideal developer bootcamp graduate who's looking for their first role. Pivotal was able to kind of, back in the day, they were able to kind of skim the cream off the top. And so I'd like to be able to do that as well. Rolling around in my head there is the ideal senior. you you can't just hire juniors and expect them to deliver quality software. So we also need to hire great experienced engineers who love paying forward the great mentorship that they've had in their careers. They're not afraid to get down and dirty with the team on specific coding decisions, architecture decisions. We want them to know the value of the Socratic method and making good judgment calls about when to let those less experienced folks kind of suffer through the problem for a while and when to get them unstuck, that kind of thing. So Brittany Martin, I'd love to recruit you. I realized probably not realistic right now, but I think the ideal senior would be someone like Brittany Martin.
1: So that is a bold statement to make on a recorded <laughs> podcast, Dave. I love it. But you also made the bold statement that you're going to move back to Pittsburgh. So All <laughs> things are truth here. So I will take it. And I appreciate it. That, you can that... you can
0: cut that if you want.
1: <laughs> oh, I'm keeping it. <laughs> <laughs> Great. But in all seriousness, what does a day in the life look like for you? Are you pairing with these juniors? Are you doing more of the management, the architecture, the client interfacing? Is it everything? Are you just spending the whole day on Twitter? What's it like for you right now, Dave?
0: Right now I'm doing everything. We have a standing meeting every morning with my development team, and that's the opportunity. We recently have started to block off more than just the 15 minutes for standup, but we now treat that as like the dedicated pairing time or the dedicated get unstuck time. Obviously they get themselves unstuck or I help them out whenever they do get stuck if they need it, but we now have that dedicated time. I spend my time in a mix of pairing with them, helping them work through problems, answering their questions, talking to clients. I do a lot of client work, facing work. We have this model where we work in weekly chunks of work, but we talk to the clients on a biweekly basis. Who knows that might change. Experimenting with lots of different things right now, but there's the cadence of client communication. There's figuring out who the next clients are gonna be. So I take probably four or five client facing calls a week right now. So managing that pipeline is also not a trivial amount of work. It's just a humongous number of things. It's been a while since I've been in this type of role too. So, but it's fun.
1: Yeah, honestly, you sound so invigorated, Dave. It's really great. Like listeners, I hope you're getting that like infectious energy that's coming from Dave. <laughs> I'm going to compliment you, Dave, because you have you've always been this way. Even though you've been CTO, you've been the technical co-founder, you've always had your hand in the business. You are that unicorn hybrid person, and oh so my I'm not surprised. I'm not surprised that you're thriving in this role.
0: Well, those are very kind words. I appreciate that, and I'll just say that I enjoy going to bed tired every day.
1: This episode is also brought to you by Scout APM. Scout is an industry leader in application performance monitoring. This low overhead tool is designed to help Ruby developers find and fix performance issues. Scout's intuitive UI and tracing logic ties bottlenecks to specific lines of code and allows you to quickly pinpoint and resolve issues like N plus one queries, slow database queries, memory bloat, and more. Scout's unlimited seats and applications allow teams to collaborate without additional costs and makes it easy for any member of your team to become a performance pro. See for yourself why developers worldwide call Scout their best friend with a free 14-day trial, no credit card needed. As a special offer for Ruby on Rails listeners, Scout will donate $5 to the open source project of your choice when you deploy. Learn more at scoutapm.com slash rubyonrails. So you mentioned that you have several clients who would be an ideal client for you? Well, we're still figuring that out.
0: Right now, I would say that our ideal client is an organization that has an existing app that has lots of history behind it that nonetheless needs new features and enhancements, maybe some long-standing bugs fixed and they maybe don't have the capacity. We've had some success with upgrading a legacy app because it's been a great opportunity in particular for the junior folks to learn about adding automated testing to an app that has little of it. Uh, I think that's Probably the most valuable part of working on a legacy app that I've witnessed so far for juniors. From a business perspective, we care about having a long-term relationship with each client. I used to talk about how what we want is organizations that want to build and launch an MVP. But as I've learned over the past couple of months, that might not actually be the best segment to go after. We want somebody who has an existing business that's been in operation, and we don't just want to have a one-month-long contract. We want this to be a long-term thing, not necessarily one that's just starting fresh. And I think a bonus is an organization or a team that has very little existing technical folks on their staff, just because they tend to find the most value in working with an agency. Trying to pitch an agency on new clients has been a learning experience because it's so much different than trying to get hired as a freelancer, for example, or as a fractional CTR or something like that. So if you're listening and you know a team like this or you're on a team like this yourself, please get in touch.
1: What are your plans around the apprentices and the juniors? Do you plan on them being customer facing?
0: They are right now. I think that that's going to rely on the individuals sitting in those seats. One of the things I always loved about Block and about many developer bootcamp graduates is the wide breadth of experience they come with. One of our developers is a former auto mechanic, and we've actually talked a lot about this, about the differences and the similarities of working in an auto mechanic shop versus working on a software development team in terms of you know how much time do you spend talking to the client? You're There's kind of like the front room, back room thing at an auto shop if you're taking your car and you talk to the person at the front, but sometimes for the really gnarly stuff, the mechanic might come out and show you the part or they'll talk about the process. Sometimes it's talking about not just artifact itself, but hey, why is this taking so long? Why is this costing more or that kind of thing? And so I think it's going to be highly dependent upon the individual. I definitely acknowledge and recognize that at some point we'll have to formulate a recipe or a playbook for this as we get a little bigger, but I'm not really worried about that right now. I'm worried about figuring out how to identify and harness the superpowers of the individuals.
1: So I'm going to ask a little bit of an odd question, Dave, and I swear this is going to come back in, I swear. Are you more of a new feature developer or are you a fixer?
0: I am a maker, not a mender, as they say. Uh, Okay,
1: because you made mention earlier in the episode that you intend on having the juniors work on new features, but you think that they can be effective in legacy apps. I'm a mender and I love onboarding juniors into legacy applications. And so interesting that you saw it in a different way than I do. Well,
0: I don't have a fully developed opinion on this mm-hmm. when it comes to Sierra Rails. I do think it's very interesting to hear. Well, I should just say that I need to formulate more of an opinion on that. I would love to hear from you as you hire your junior. My experience has always been that engineers are one or the other. That doesn't mean that you can't do both types of work. And in fact, I surprised myself with how much I enjoyed the upgrading the legacy application work. It was so different than building a new app. And so even so different than working inside of the legacy code base, just like the upgrade process of taking this eight-year-old code base up through the various stages. It's a little bit like solving a really gnarly bug and very different than building a new feature into an app. But yeah, I think it's all about personal superpowers. And I can't wait to find that first really great mender.
1: Yeah, for sure. I mean, one of my most talented developers at Texas I mean, he can knock out features like nobody's business. He's a mender. I mean, if he could just be in Honey Badger all day, just solving (laughs) bugs, he would be thrilled, which is wild to me because you're like, but the potential, like the features. Realize that menders are so important to the organization. And I had our trio of junior developers that we hired more than a year ago on the show. And it's amazing how, as I've watched them grow, You're totally right, Dave. Some of them have become makers and some of them have veered towards being menders. And so you really have to think to yourself, what's the correct ratio based on what I'm currently working on?
0: The engineer that I hired first, the junior that I hired first had an extremely measured approach to things. He would think through problems really deeply. He's very organized, very clear thinker. And then the second developer that we hired was in many ways the exact opposite. It was more of a brute force method instead of ready, aim, fire, it was ready, fire, aim. And (laughs) it's been really cool. I remember being kind of worried about putting the two together at first. And now it's been really, really cool to see them both develop. In some ways they've developed in the opposite direction from where they started, but in other ways they've found the right balance of like, okay, yes, sometimes the brute force method is the better method. For example, if you're writing throwaway code, Early on in the process of adding a new feature or tackling a project, you just kind of want to get your head around the problem, get your head around the code base, just like brute force, go, 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 write throwaway code and see what happens. And then the second approach we found is very appropriate for the second phase of the project where after you figured it out, now you're moving on to the get it done phase. It's been really cool. And so I think your comment about makers versus menders is really pertinent but I'm also watching as the other dimensions have emerged. <laughs> it's been a while personally since I've had the privilege of watching that type of work.
1: We've mentioned Pivotal and ThoughtBot a couple of times and they have infamously been very heavy on pairing. What is your current stance on pairing at Sierra Rails?
0: Oh boy, well-
1: Can of worms. Yeah, <laughs> it yet
0: is a can of worms. Where to begin? So I've never really been somebody who has enjoyed pairing. I learned to code when I was a kid and I've very much been the lone wolf. Even in my most successful roles- as an individual contributor, it was always, I was always the lone wolf. Rands in Repose has a great article called, I think it's called The Wolf. He analogizes these lone wolf engineers to the wolves from Pulp Fiction. And it's a little bit of an ego stroking kind of a definition in my opinion. But I think in general, it describes me when it comes to my IC work. But in the last six months, I have to tell you, I've learned a lot about pairing and I've come around. If I need to put my hands on the keyboard and build something new, it's unlikely that I'll choose to pair with somebody on it. But when it comes to accelerating the skills acquisition of a junior developer, I don't know if there is another more powerful force in the universe than pairing. Sometimes I'm pairing with the two of them at once and I'm kind of streaming to them and they're stopping me and asking me questions. And that's been super valuable for them, but also for me, because there's lots of times where I'll make a snap judgment on something that to me feels like an automatic, easy decision, very simple to them is not so simple or straightforward. And when they ask me about it, sometimes we discover that I made the wrong choice. It's like, I've been making the wrong choice about this for years. And all it took was five, six minutes of them watching me do my thing. And I learned something too by having to articulate it. So there's lots of little things like that that happen when we pair as well. And maybe now is the time to say that on that topic, by the time this show airs, I would imagine that we will have launched the very first episode of our podcast, which describes this in great detail.
1: Ah, so I'm so excited, like to another out. podcast. So what's gonna be the name of the podcast and you're right, it probably will be live by the time this episode goes out. So we'll definitely link it up in the show notes, but please tell me all about it.
0: Yeah, so I don't wanna treat this just as a plug for the podcast, so I'll be brief, but I'm very excited by this. It actually wasn't even my idea. It was one of our developers' ideas. Basically, we're calling the podcast, It's a working title, Exposing Your Ignorance. So it'll be at exposingyourignorance.com. And it's all about the lessons that we're learning building this agency. The very first episode is the three of us just having a conversation about why hiring juniors in pairs works really well. So it goes over just a whole bunch of stuff about pairing and about the lessons they've learned and you know, some of the lessons that I've learned as well. So please check it out and give us feedback.
1: Amazing. Well, I always wrap on the thoughts from you on the future of the Ruby and Ruby on Rails communities, but I'm going to spin it a little bit, Dave. You literally have the word Rails in the development agency's name. (laughs) So clearly you went with Ruby on Rails. Why?
0: Yeah. So the name is a combination, obviously, of two things that I love, Ruby on Rails and the Sierra Nevada mountains where I currently live. You know, I think this was a hard decision. may not be as simple as it might look. I think I remember struggling with this at Block as well. I was in so many meetings where we talked about the future of the developer bootcamp industry and isn't the whole world moving to JavaScript. And it seems like the whole world is moving to JavaScript. And at the time, I still kind of believe this. I think what we'd like to do is focus on long-term career growth. And this is kind of like asking, if you wind the clock back a few decades, this is an imperfect analogy, but I'm going to use it anyway. It's kind of like asking, you know, should I, maybe at the seventies, this is definitely the wrong analogy because these two platforms didn't exist at the same time, but let's perform a thought experiment and tend that there was a time at which you could launch a career on Smalltalk or on Java. And is this about short-term cash getting a really great salary right away, or is this about long-term career growth? And I would argue that I would like junior graduates, junior developer, Rails developers to launch their career on Ruby on Rails for a variety of reasons that we could discuss at length. I think we can't take the Ruby on Rails community for granted. We have to cultivate it. We have to be good stewards and guardians of the community and of the technology stack on the ecosystem. Sometimes that means being active on Twitter, but it's also, and many times it's those private moments, those mentorship conversations when you're talking to your manager or your peer. And we just need to do our best to bring the next generation into the fold. And I think if we do that, the community will be very healthy for a very long time. So kind of the opposite of what happened with small talk. And, you know, I think this begins with individual relationships and that's what I'm trying to do. I had a sign. One of the mentors at Block kind of rocked my world one time. We were doing some kind of a reorg and I remember struggling with how to get these two different teams to work together. And he said something that just like was lightning into my brain. The line was groups don't form relationships, people do. And I ended up like framing that and putting it on the wall. And I think about that every day and I know this has nothing to do with Ruben Rails, but I think it's a really important point in the Rails community is that instead of trying to have groups form relationships, we want individual junior developers to begin forming relationships with each other and with the seniors and the peers within their organizations.
1: Absolutely incredible. I feel like I could run a half marathon just off the energy coming off this interview, Dave, but (laughs) um, (laughs) how can listeners follow you and Sierra Rails?
0: Sure. I'm Deepayola 2 on Twitter and Sierra Rails is Sierra Rails on Twitter.
1: Amazing. Thank you so much for coming on and just giving us the origin behind Sierra Rails. What you're doing is so important. We're definitely going to have to bring you back on probably a couple months from now, just to see how things are going, what you're doing. You are putting your money where your mouth is. And so we so appreciate you, Dave, and we're so glad that you're still in this community. Well, thank you, Brittany. I am so appreciative of the opportunity to talk about it on
0: your podcast. I've watched from a distance as your podcast has exploded, and I think you're doing a bang-up job, and you're one of the more important leaders in the community, so thank you. You've been listening to the Ruby on Rails podcast. Follow us on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, or wherever fine podcasts are downloaded to stay in the loop on Ruby on Rails and open source software. While you're at it, please leave us a review, and thank you for listening.